What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey guys, Tom here. We have a cool episode for you guys today. We did a crossover episode with our good pal John Corrales of the Locked On Celtics podcast. Corrales uh, came on to talk about Kemba Walker and his return, as well as Jalen Brown's ascension into the ranks of all NBA contenders, as well as the Celtics in general, just kind of where they're at right now, uh, 12 games into the season. So we split this conversation up in half. The first half of it is here on the Geno Time podcast, and the other half is over on the Locked On Celtics podcast. So we hope you guys enjoy it, and thank you all for tuning in. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Geno Time podcast here on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. We are brought to you by Bet Online. My name is Nicole Yang, and today I'm joined by Tom Westerholm and John Corrales. Guys, yes, hi. <laughs> I'm doing great. How are you guys doing? Personally, I wish I was in a different room so I could show you this lamp, John, but I am still incredibly shook by the last time Tom and I were Zooming. He pointed out to me that I own the same lamp as his three-year-old son, Rafi. <laughs> Your reaction is in line with what Nicole thought. Because Nicole was just like, I can't believe I own the same French bulldog lamp as, you know, my son. And I was just kind of like, oh, yeah, you guys both have French bulldog lamps. I don't know. I didn't think it was that It's a weird. French bulldog lamp? Yes. Where can, so, I, where can I get one? Target. Nice. <laughs> But so now whenever I see this lamp, I'm like, am I too old for this lamp? So no. I feel bad that I ruined your French bulldog lamp for you. It's, 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 it's a, no, you know, I don't now, like French bulldogs, but it's a cool lamp. If now this I'm going to look it up. If this episode is uploaded correctly, I will make the art, the French bulldog lamp in question. And I would like to hear from listeners whether it is something too juvenile for myself, a 25, soon to be 26 year old woman. I like it. It's cute. I think it is appropriate for a three-year-old boy and a 25-year-old woman. Thank you, John. What about a 26-year-old woman? Because Nicole might have to trash it tomorrow. No, that's the <laughs> limit, though. It says right here, age up to, like, the toys, like where it says, like, three to five, it says three to 25. But then you got to graduate to, like, a Rottweiler lamp. <laughs> Rot, Rot, what Rottweiler lamp it'll be. Do they have those? <laughs> deep down the rabbit hole here rabbit hole that's the word not wormhole i like to think of it like uh it's kind of like obamacare like like you can go stay on your parents insurance until you're 26 but at 26 your parents insurance and that bulldog lamp are out the door <laughs> i would like to hear from listeners whether you think i should keep or trash the lamp because i probably will listen <laughs> <laughs> everybody okay. tell me to keep it because it's fine all right <laughs> So today we're going to talk about the Celtics, the second place in the East, Boston Celtics. Um, they have played 12 games. Obviously, three were postponed due to their coronavirus testing, but they have compiled an eight and four record so far. I think the big story is Kemba Walker's return. What were your first impressions? I, I thought that he was moving pretty well. There, there was nothing in that game that made me think, oof, Kemba is not old Kemba like he certainly wasn't doing some of the things we didn't see that that change of direction move that he loved so much we didn't see any of that stuff but it's not like he does that five times a game he just whips that out every once in a while uh, I go back to being in Indy 
in that last game before the hiatus and watching Kemba very clearly be limited and not be able to turn a corner. And in that game, I said, wow, Kemba looks bad. Like he is not doing well. I didn't have that reaction here. So that's a very good first step. Now he shot horribly, but the Celtics also shot 29% against the Knicks. So nobody's shot was falling for some reason in that game. So I'm not going to hold it against him. I think maybe he forced a couple of things, but I also think that's part of, you know, sometimes Kemba will put up some shots where he maybe looks like they're a little forced, but overall I'm very encouraged. It looked, it looked like a, a normal Kemba performance. And I think the next step is getting him to figure out how to play with Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum with all of the ways that they've expanded their games. So this is all going to be a work in progress. It's hard to do when there's a 20 ish minute restriction on him, but good first step. Also understanding that over the next month or two, there's going to be a lot of work that needs to be done. And it's not always going to be just smooth and easy. Like there are going to be some turnovers. There's going to be some bumps in the road, but I, I think for a first step, it was a good one. It's not always going to be easy. Like the 30 point beat down that he experienced in a, uh, <laughs> while going three for 13 with like five turnovers. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I agree with you 100%, though. Like, I, I, I tweeted this yesterday and got quite a bit of pushback from, I think, casuals. Like, I just didn't think that there was anything to be concerned about in yesterday's game. Like, it wasn't a good game, and there's, like, like if you're a professional basketball team, you should not lose by 30 to the New York Knicks. Like, I'm not, like, excusing it, but I'm just saying, like, there's nothing to panic about. Like, Kemba, I thought he looked fast. Yeah, you're right, he didn't do the change of direction move, but he did move. You know what I mean? Like, he, right. he, looked, he didn't look hobbled at all, and I think that's really important. And then I think, too, just like getting him back on the court, like, yeah, it's going to take some time. Not because, you know, this team is like, you know, they've not because they've been world beaters without him or anything. They've been good enough. But just integrating somebody, you know, who matters that much to your offense back into the lineup. I mean, I thought, you know, you asked Kemba, like, if, if he's going to have like any issues, you know, reintegrating with Jalen, basically. And it was like, I think that's like a perfectly reasonable question. Kemba didn't like it very much, but like, <laughs> I thought it was like a... I thought it was a good question because like, you know, the first few minutes of the game. Yeah. Like he was taking a lot of usage away from Jalen who has been excellent because of his high usage. And I think those are going to be some of the issues that the Celtics are going to have to try to work through. I also think they're going to be able to do it. Everybody on this team seems to like each other. I think it's pretty clear that Kemba sees where he's at in the hierarchy. Like he has made right. it very clear. The Celtics have two superstars. I would quibble with that personally, but like, you know, they have two like very talented stars who are, the pinnacle of the team right now. Kemba is, you know, a step below them. And I think he understands that. And I think he wants to be that early on in the game. They were really giving him the ball a lot. You know, he was trying to do a lot. I think part of that was just everybody was happy to see him back. This team seems to like each other. They seem to like Kemba. I, I don't think there's going to be any like long-term issues. It's just going to be a matter of like, does this hold? Will the, sh the shot and all the strengthening they've done Will that hold and will that keep him on the court and able to play? And I think the early returns are good. And as long as the early returns are good, you can feel encouraged, if that makes sense. The timing almost kind of works out because Jason Tatum is out with the virus. So he will get more touches and he will be a more central part of the offense to start. And then by the time Jason Tatum returns, hopefully he's more comfortable and Tatum's return will sort of take the pressure off him too. Yeah, I, I think like Kemba mentioned the guys were a little extra excited to have him back and that they fed him the ball a bunch. 
And so that makes sense. And yes, having him come back while Tatum is out to give him the extra usage and not take too much away from Jalen, that's good. And then Tatum's going to come back. Like everybody's going to have to sacrifice like a little bit of what they did, but that's not bad. Like those other guys, their usage was so high that they were, it's great that they were coming through that they were performing under those circumstances. It's the only reason why the Celtics are eight and four at this point and at the top of the standings and not somewhere around Orlando, Brooklyn, you know, somewhere in the middle of the pack, but there is going to be that. All right. Kemba not going to take some of those shots. Like in the next game here, if they actually do play on Wednesday, there's going to have to be some level of adjustment And, and, and Kemba did get to it. Like he, I don't think that he didn't like my question or maybe he didn't. I don't know, but he did ultimately get around to the right answer for me, which was Jalen's killing it. And I don't want him to think he can't keep killing it because I'm back, which is kind of where I needed that, that answer to be. That says a lot right there within that answer of him saying, I don't have to adjust. But if you're saying that I don't think Jalen should stop killing it because I'm back, means that you might have to adjust. You might have to pass a little bit more. You might have to spot up in the corners a little bit more because why Why has Jalen Brown been killing it? Because he's operating above the free throw line, getting picks and going downhill rather than operating out of the corners where he's spotting up and attacking closeouts. That's why, because he's getting now into the middle at that free throw line. Jalen Brown has, has connected on more alley-oops this year than I think he has an entire career combined. Because he operates above the free throw line, he's getting multiple picks, and he's a threat from 15 feet. And once he sees the center step up or go off balance, that's a lob to somebody who's rolling. That's a different part of his game. So that means if Jalen's above the free throw line, then who's going to be down there in the corner? It's going to have to be Kemba sometimes. And a little bit more often than he's he has been in the past. So Kemba's probably not going to say that, but that's kind of where I was going with the question. And, and we will see, I think, over the next couple of months, some of that start to play out. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to see what, like, so if Kemba's in the corner, how does that affect his game? And I think that he's a more natural fit for it than Jalen was, because again, we're seeing what Jalen can do when he gets the ball above the break, when he gets the ball toward the top of the key. Kemba, I think, I would have to look at the numbers to, to see, because I know that Jalen actually has been like a really reliable spot-up shooter at times, but it does feel like having a guy in the corner sometimes who is a reliable shooter and who is like a guy who can, you know, if a closeout comes and it's like a really good closeout, Kemba can absolutely break a guy down off the dribble too. Like, I think right. that those instincts are going to, you know, implement themselves nicely. All in all, though, I mean, I, I think everything you're saying is right. I'm just not that worried about this team, like a, as things stand. I think it's going to take some adjustment, like you said, it all just comes down to is Kemba healthy. Like, and if he's healthy, they're going to be tough. There's just like not that much you can do to defend them, which is also something that you could say about another team in the Atlantic division. But, you know, the Celtics also play some defense. So I don't know. I think they're in a good spot. <laughs> I think there's going to be an adjustment. I wouldn't be surprised if there's some some ugly losses. And, you know, there's I, I think there's going to be some very disgruntled fans who are going to make a lot of noise about, uh, you know, losing by 30 to the Knicks on, you know, a Sunday afternoon. But like, I'm just not that concerned. I think this team's good. And I, I think they're going to kind of keep being good as Kemba gets reintegrated. 
So obviously it's like hard to tell right now just because not everybody is available, but how does Kemba's return impact the rotation? Do you see Peyton Pritchard's minutes staying consistent or what's your feeling there? I think that if he's back healthy and all of that stuff, then Peyton Pritchard allows the Celtics now to start Marcus Smart, where I think before the season started, I was thinking like you bring Smart off the bench because you need somebody to anchor that second unit. And that might still be the case. And that might just be a stagger minutes a certain way. But with Pritchard stepping up, I, I don't know how Teague is going to work out. Like he, he has looked, he's been good in stretches, but he's also been like bad for stretches. But I think fully healthy, if they ever get there, Kemba Smart, Tatum Brown, and pick a center, Tristan, whomever. I do think that Thompson makes the most sense, just his ability to, to run that pick and roll and, and set the strong picks and, and roll really hard and still catch lobs. Uh, I think that works. You could also make that same case for Robert Williams. So it, it, it's just a matter. It might just be a matchup dependent starting center. Any one of those guys makes sense to me. But then off the bench, it does call into question how many minutes Pritchard is going to get versus Jeff Teague. I think Pritchard has shown himself to be a solid guy that you can kind of count on, but he's still a rookie. And like there are going to be games where it just isn't working for him. So while we're all caught up in the Peyton Pritchard hype, there is still, there still has to be the understanding. Like sometimes he's not going to be the right guy to be out there. And you, you kind of have to recognize that pretty quickly which is going to mean Brad Stevens has a quick trigger on subbing him out, which is going to mean that people are going to be upset that Brad Stevens has a quick trigger pulling out Peyton Pritchard. I don't think we need to overreact to stuff like that, but we've seen that the Celtics now also have Shemi Ojale, who's been Nick's game aside, reliable from three. Grant Williams, I think, has been up and down. His up has been great. His down has been blah, but you can still use him. There are guys on the bench that you can use and once Robert Williams is back, it does add another element into that center rotation. So I think rotation-wise, obviously, it makes everything better because you're pushing guys that have been starting into the bench, and, they, and they've, they've shown some level of reliability. To your point about Pritchard and, like, there being a time to use him, I think it's telling that his numbers have been so good with Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum on the floor. Like, his numbers have been, like, astronomical at that point. Like, you know, 99th percentile league-wide type numbers. A big part of that is because, you know, teams are like – because he puts, like, a lot of pressure on the defense, but he does that because the defense is, always, is already being pressured by – your two all-stars or your one all-star or whoever's on the floor. Like, I don't think that's an exclusive Peyton Pritchard thing to where it's like, you know, he's a rookie, you know, coming in for the first time. And all of a sudden he's like, Oh, he's putting up 16 points. That's just what he does. I think part of it is because he is being put in a position to succeed because he's on the floor offensively with two guys who are already stressing your defense in a lot of ways. So I, I agree with you there. I mean, I think, I think you're right that we're going to see like, you know, fans get a little antsy with Brad um, much in the same way they've done with Aaron Neesmith, who if Neesmith was like a little bit more ready, I think this team would make a little bit more sense because he just is not there yet. Uh, not ready at all. <laughs> not there. Uh, and, you know, I mean, I liked the pick when they made it. I still think he's a good player. I mean, you know, you go back and watch some of his college film. I mean, I, I said at the time that a lot of that film is against really bad teams. Like, so there is something there, but like he can really shoot it. You know, he's still got the size. I think eventually he's going to kind of come around, but it's just like this year's team specifically, I, I don't know that he's going to contribute at all this year. 
And if he doesn't, it's like, man, like that's, yeah, that's a tough hit. Like you were really kind of hoping that the 14th pick was going to come in and, uh, and pitch in. Right. Much Especially the- with his size, the build, the type of player that he is. Like, he's exactly what the Celtics are looking for. And hey, look, maybe Romeo Langford, when he comes back, is going to be that guy because that no one's really talking about Romeo Langford at this point. He has the potential to be that guy. He's already shown that he can defend at this level. And then it's going to be a matter of him kind of figuring out his shooting. Can he shoot at this level and contribute offensively? Last year, I think, is encouraging what Romeo Langford could bring. So it takes away from the importance of Neesmith kind of figuring it out. But... You still would love to have Neesmith at his size and strength and theoretical shooting ability to be able to figure this out. But honestly, we, we have to be fair to Neesmith because you just you just said, Tom, a lot of this films against bad competition. So before this season started, he had been out for almost an entire calendar year. And prior to that, had been playing against lesser college competition. So he hadn't faced real honest to goodness serious basketball competition for what two years at that point like we got to cut him some slack I, I think this season demands that we kind of almost overlook bad rookie performances it makes good rookie performances all the more impressive it makes what Peyton Pritchard is doing all that much more impressive because he's picking things up so quickly but I'm willing to just give every rookie a pass this year the, the number one goal for the Celtics with Neesmith right now is to keep his confidence high. Find a way to keep his confidence up and have him keep working because if he loses his confidence, that can doom a shooter for a long time, maybe forever in the NBA. But you got to find a way to keep his confidence. I don't know, get him some shooting drills in practice where he's knocking them down. Get him something that gives him some little measures of success along the way so he can say, all right, look, I know I'm good. I've just got to figure this out. And then maybe at some point he can be a contributor, but I'm with you, Tom. Like I I like the type of player. This archetype is exactly what every team is looking for. Like people shouldn't be overreacting to what's going on right now because it's not, he has not been given a fair chance to succeed at this point. No, a hundred percent. I mean, not to, not to hammer the Aaron Neesmith. Hammer away, Tom. Not to hammer the Aaron Neesmith section of this podcast too much, but just like to your point, his 2019-20 game logs, his three biggest games, he scored 34 points, 34 points, and 29 points. I will do his four biggest, 34, 34, 29, and 26. Those four opponents were Richmond, UNC Wilmington, SMU, Austin P. His next biggest one was Tulsa. That is just not University of Kentucky. You know what I mean? Like right. he, he was not putting up these numbers against, you know, elite competition. And the thing with shooting is that if a guy can shoot, he can shoot for the most part. Um, so you do kind of look at that and say like, okay, down the line, he should be able to do this. But yeah, I mean, not only was he a year removed from playing basketball, he was like a year, like more than a year removed from playing anybody legitimate at all. So to be clear, I a hundred percent agree with you that he is not being given a fair shake here. And like, you should not expect anything huge from him his first season. I also think it's interesting to kind of talk about his build and his strength. He kind of has that thing that Jalen Brown did his first season where Jalen had muscle and he looked like he was strong, but he just kind of wasn't like LeBron just bullied him like in his first like year. And uh, you know, and LeBron bullies a lot of people, but it was like very pronounced with Jalen. Like Jalen could not do much against really strong guys you know, we've seen Neesmith kind of get bumped off his spot a lot. You do have to learn how to kind of leverage that strength if you have it in the NBA. And that's something that comes with time. 
Neesmith has not had any time. So the poor guy <laughs> is like, right. he's really in a tough spot. So I do really feel for him. I'm not, you know, by no means am I writing him off. I think he's going to be a good player. It's just like for the Celtics, I think they were kind of hoping when they drafted him that he was going to be one of those guys who you could kind of plug and play. And that just yeah. is at this point so my last thing on Neesmith is that and Tom you're a shooter so you can confirm this when the rest of your game is being sped up it's hard to get that shot down because a jump shot is very much like a golf swing it's always compared to a golf swing because you have to have that same mechanics and you have to replicate those same mechanics over and over and over again that's why it's successful so it almost doesn't matter if it's a little janky it doesn't matter whatever if it works and you can replicate the same thing over and over again then there you go if Neesmith is out there and he very clearly looks like he's playing fast and very clearly looks like he's thinking a lot that takes away from the ability to slow down and take your normal jump shot. So I think there might be some reaction to, okay, yeah, we get it. Neesmith isn't playing well, but he's still supposed to be a shooter and he's not shooting well. And so that is, I think something that people should keep in mind that along with when you're, when you're playing fast, it's very, very easy for even a good shooter's jumper to fall apart. Yep, no question. And then the other thing about like shooting too is that like to be a great shooter, you have to be convinced to the point of like, it's like you're almost like a little, uh, like you're almost like a little delirious, like you're taking it too far that your next shot is going to go in. That's why right. you'll see Jay King uh, on Twitter. You'll see him always talking about how like great a shooter he is. Like you'll see me anytime right. Corrales says something, I'll be like, yeah, but you can't shoot like me. Like you have to have <laughs> this like dumb bravado and like it's hard for rookies to have that so it is hard for rookie shooters to kind of transition because for the first time in their lives i think a lot of them really are like oh everybody here is better than me (laughs) right that's hard that's like a real thing it's it's tough if you're a shooter and you all of a sudden the bravado is gone this is is why i said the celtics need to keep his confidence up 100 because that confidence is is what's going to get him through they need to find ways to to do that that's exactly that's a good point but so because of like Peyton Pritchard's emergence, because of Shemi Ojale's improvement, like it's not absolutely necessary that Aaron Neesmith be able to contribute, but it would be really nice if he really nice. could be. Yeah. But so that being said, I am a lot more encouraged about the Celtics right now than I was at the beginning of the season. I think because of those two things, Pritchard and Ojale, and then obviously Jalen Brown. (laughs) I'm encouraged because of Jalen, but sure, you do you with (laughs) Shetty. No, I mean, obviously, like all the podcasts we did last season, Jason and Jalen were mentioned at the bottom, but they've just (laughs) continued clearly on their way to all-star, all-NBA. But last year, the bench was such an issue, and this year I just don't see those same problems. So, like, what's your current assessment of the Celtics? I mean, it's early. We're, like, 15% through the season. But what's your current assessment of sort of the playoff hopes, I guess? It's a little early, so I didn't want to say it. But what are you, what are you thinking right now? It's interesting, right? Because I think this season is, like, the hard – I mean, obviously, clearly, this is the hardest season ever to predict – where a team is going to land because you just don't I mean like we don't know how long Jason Tatum's going to be out like theoretically it sounds like he's asymptomatic but like you just never know like you don't know like who's going to get sick who's going to be out for like two weeks who's going to be out for a month who might come back like Kendrick Nunn did last year and really struggle like this thing is weird and it's completely unpredictable so I mean if you set all that stuff aside, I like where the Celtics are at. And I think they can compete for a, you know, one, two, three seed in the Eastern conference. Like to your point, Nicole, yeah, the bench is better. And that matters quite a bit when Jalen is as much better as Jalen is. And when Tatum has shown like 
not that anybody really thought it was, but like last year wasn't fluky. He's really good. Like he's, he's a superstar. The fact that all of that is coalescing and Kemba Walker is coming back. There's so much to be encouraged about with like where this team is right now. I still, you know, I still think that they're probably like a small step below true, like blue chip contender, but like they're really good and they're, and they're better, much better. You said it, Nicole, but like much better than you and I thought they were going to be before the season. You know, that's super encouraging where that ends up, you know, coming down in terms of like playoff who stays healthy. I have no idea, but like they certainly have the talent to be right where they want to be. And I think, you know, they definitely have the talent. I think, Nicole, you and I probably need to eat a little bit of crow for like James Harden, James Harden, James Harden, James Harden, James Harden. And uh, now it's like, eh, nah, you keep Jalen. <laughs> like they made the right call. <laughs> I think that's a, a, a good call. Oh, do you? You think it's a good call, do you, Mr. Yeah. Uh, flexing in my mentions? <laughs> <laughs> no one no one saw this Jalen Brown coming, right. really. I mean, people will claim to, but that was blind faith, I think. Right. I, I think that... Jalen Brown, and again, what I was talking about earlier, the playing above the free throw line versus playing below the free throw line. Playing at the top of the key is kind of like a new thing for him. Getting the ball at the top and using those picks and going, you know, north-south instead of east-west a lot more is a fairly new element of this game. And he may have been always been able to do it, but the fact that we haven't seen it. Now we're seeing it. And, and he's using that to create passes for, you know, assist opportunities. That's great. I mean, his, his assist rate has like doubled over, you know, year to year, which is insane. Along you have, with usage rate, incidentally, his usage rate has like right. skyrocketed. So yeah, put the ball in his hands and good things happen. Right, right. So now we have him and Tatum, like they had games that kind of fit very well together in the past. Now they actually play somewhat similar games, minus like the types of shots that they're taking, but they can both do the same things, get the ball in the same places, run the same plays with them, interchange them in those same plays. So that's very helpful. And we know that that Jalen can be a spot-up guy. So you can put him in the corner and know that he can catch and shoot and hit corner threes at an extraordinarily high rate. So you look at this team now and you've got two all-star players in Tatum and Brown, for sure. Potentially all NBA players, if, if this can continue. So two all NBA players makes you a good team. And if these guys can keep this going and be two potentially first team all NBA guys or first and a second team all NBA guy, that makes you a very good team. Then you throw Kemba in there. And once Kemba figures out exactly how that flow works, then you can probably get a little bit more offensive stability out of Marcus Smart, who I think sometimes has taken on a little too much of the shooting, which is very Marcus Smart thing to do. But you can see that this Celtics team, their starters are going to be really good. They have three centers that you can trust versus last year, two centers that you could trust and one center that you just kind of cross your fingers and hope they didn't screw you too much when Ennis Cantor came in. So <laughs> now you can do Thompson, Tice, and Robert Williams. I think you can feel good about any of the minutes you can run them shorter stints. You can play them five or six minutes and just get another fresh center in there. You can, you can do that in the playoffs. Then what all of this does now is when you bring in Shemi Ojale, he's a, he's a shooter. And you have two of Kemba, Jalen, or Jason when the playoffs roll around. Two of those guys stay on the floor. One of them comes out for Shemi Ojale. And then one of those guys can come out for, you can bring Grant Williams in. I think if there's any weakness on this team, it's at the four spot. 
where the Celtics don't have a just a reliable, like stronger type of guy. You, you play small at the four with Jalen, but you don't have like the, the two big lineup will work in I think certain situations, but you, you really can't have Tice guarding smaller fours because we saw like what Jeremy Grant did did to him like oh my god roasted him like crazy you know and we have to keep in mind like the tpe is still in play here and i think that would be a target that's why i keep bringing up aaron gordon as a potential use for that tpe not that i think that orlando is just going to will willingly give him up but all of this is to say that the celtics have a good rotation good starters good pieces off the bench when the playoffs roll around and you're, you're cutting your rotation down to like seven or eight guys. The three guys off the bench, two of them can be centers. One of them's going to be a spot up guy in Shemi or Grant Williams. And then, so maybe you go one extra deep with whoever you get for the TPE, or it could be, like I said before, it could be Romeo Langford. We don't know what he's going to be. The Celtics are set up pretty well. Now, how does that match up against Milwaukee, Philly and Brooklyn, whatever Brooklyn ends up being? Like, we've got to figure that out. Right. Going back to last season, I feel like the biggest shortcomings were Kemba Walker's health, which you're sort of just hoping for the best there. And based on his one performance, it sounds like both of you are encouraged. The bench, which I think has greatly improved. And I keep forgetting Romeo is coming back too, which should make (laughs) the bench even stronger, you would assume. Just to interject on Romeo too, real quick. Like people, I think a lot of people, like he's, he's was a really good player in college. You know, really good player in high school. And I think like a lot of times, like Celtics rookies, especially on the wing, they come back their second year a lot stronger than they did their first year. So I'm really curious to see what he does. Like, I know he didn't play much last year, but like Jalen didn't play much. His, like he didn't play a ton his first year either. Like sometimes these guys come for the Celtics come back pretty strong their second season. So like the bench definitely seems to be in a better place and could be in an even better place with Romeo. And then third obviously was the problems at the five, which to Ennis Cantor's credit, no matter how many times he retweets why Ennis Cantor is better than Paul George, not a joke, see the whole thread. That had <laughs> I would die. <laughs> oh my God. You know, I'm joking. I picked up Ennis Cantor on my fantasy team, so <laughs> joke's on me. I picked up Kevin Porter Jr., so things are going well on my <laughs> end. <laughs> uh, just a matter of where you put his locker. That's the important thing. <laughs> All right, guys, like I said, this was half of the conversation between myself and Nicole and Corrales. You can hear the rest of it over on the Locked on Celtics podcast. We appreciate you all for listening. Thank you all. Uh, Feel free to DM myself or Nicole with any questions, comments, or concerns. She's Nicole C. Yang on Twitter. I'm Tom underscore NBA. And Corrales is at Red's Army John. Thank you all for listening. Please feel free to get in touch, and we will talk to you later this week. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran. Marvelous Marvin Hagler and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.